You're listening to the Hair Dudes Conversations podcast, where tonight we will talk about can Liverpool do the quadruple, and also about the poor demise of Leeds and the sacking of their manager, Mario Bielsa, and how is this the right decision for the club at this time. Also, we will talk about Mr. Putin's war on Ukraine. Not Russia's war, Mr. Putin's war in Ukraine and how we feel about it and the rest of the world. Good evening, everybody out there, um, and welcome to another episode of the Hair Dudes Conversations. And this is episode four, and it's it's at a time when the world is now starting to look in a little bit of a crisis. Um, but we want to start off with another crisis at the moment, which is the opportunity of Liverpool maybe to do a quadruple. But tonight on the Hair Dudes, I have my esteemed guests. I've Mr. Mark McCauley here who has a, a, something there sitting on his right shoulder, I'm not too sure. I've got the wonderful Mr. Paul Stafford here looking as intellectual as ever with his glasses on. Never even knew he wore them. <laughs> too young to be wearing glasses. And I've got Duncan Kenna, who's had his hair set today by the looks of things. Looks lovely, Duncan. <laughs> and the glasses. And he's got the glasses on. And I've got me, minus me hearing aids, because I'd done a smart thing last week of going down <laughs> after a glass of wine and having a swim in the sea. And when I was walking up, Heard me the hearing aid go, and realised, shit, I've just worn me four and a half grand hearing aids into the sea. So they're in getting repaired at the moment, so fingers crossed, lads. Like, So you might have to raise your voice a little bit so we can hear you as well. So let's move on to our, one of our favourite sport, uh, sports, which is soccer. And let's give Mark uh, a bit of a bull of bust there for finally winning the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, actually, I think the big story of the day was Marcelo uh, being sacked. Um, I, I have to say, I, that was a shocker. Uh, and I know from everything I was watching uh, on, on, on sports news yesterday morning, the, the Leeds fans were not happy. Certainly any Leeds fans I know are not happy. And uh, Paul, you know, called it, Paul called it Saturday night to me, didn't you, Paul? You, you, you actually said it you know, that we're probably going to sack him and get some knobhead in. And I would rather go down. And la- actually this morning on TalkSport, other than he didn't have your lovely accent, Paul, the guy nearly word for word said exactly what you said. And Yeah, it- I think, I think you know, uh, I can speak for 99% of true Leeds fans. And, and I, I, I mean, for me, it, this is probably the most devastating news we've had since we went down. Um, 18 years ago, I think it's just it's. I think it's it's bad. It, it's bad from the board. It obviously looks like they were working behind Bielsa's back to make this happen. You something happened in January. You could see that they didn't support um, support him in the transfer market. The story is that they had offered him players he wouldn't take, and the players that he wanted they couldn't afford. Lots of different stories going around. But I I think for me. It's just very disappointing. The spirit of football um, has taken another um, kick in the balls here because I think Marcel brought something to the Premiership that had been unseen. He he had completely united the sport. I mean, in terms of other football managers, whether it was Pep, whether it was Klopp, they couldn't help but admire him, not just because of the way they the way the leagues played, but because the spirit with which... He embraced the game. He was humble. He was. Um, he 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 had integrity. He, everyone had. He had the respect of everybody. He never criticized anybody. 
He was a generous man in spirit as well as in finance because what he did for Newell's old boys back in Argentina was incredible. And uh, I think it's heartbreaking. I, 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 a little bit of my love for Leeds is lost today. I, after, after 45 years of supporting Leeds United, I, I've lost a bit of... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can genuinely say this is, it's a difficult day as a Leeds supporter. And, um, and I, wish, I wish the new manager all the best. Of course, he'll have our support. But it, it, yeah, something something's changed for me. Yeah, and it was it was a bad day for for soccer and and certainly the uh, EPL. It was a bad day, and I think when you look at it, it was out of his control that he had all his main players missing. I think mm. he was back in the last four to five games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you've got your centre midfielder gone. You've got your centre forward gone. You've got your centre half gone. You've got the spine of the team completely missing. You've got your superstar is only back. You know, it's very hard. I mean, Liverpool went through the same thing last year. At one point last year, it was hard to believe that we only had one player who played more than six games in a row. Yeah. One player. The team was not going to change that much. The thing about it is, Mark, you know, I, 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 I can be pragmatic about it. Because ultimately, if it was any other manager in, in the Premiership, they would have been gone by now anyway. You know, you just can't ship 24, 26 goals and expect to stay in your position. But Bielsa was a very different type of manager. I mean, we all thought that if anyone's going to pull it back, it will be Bielsa. But you're right. Phillips, Bamford, Cooper, and you know, that's only the tip of the iceberg. We had a small squad anyway. Yeah. Um, but the reality of it is, as well, you know, uh, Bielsa only plays one way, and and Leeds have been found out this season. Mm. And you know, you, you can't go to Liverpool and, and well, you can go to Man United and take your chances, but you can't go to Liverpool. <laughs> and, uh, you can't go to Liverpool and, and Man City and think, you know, that you can just play that, and they won't know. Particularly the man-to-man marking thing, I never really understood how that worked up against somebody like Salah. You know, he's just too clever. But the big, the bad news is that you know whoever comes in, they have the the unenviable task of not just trying to replace um, Bielsa, but actually trying to keep Leeds in the Premiership, which in reality is a league we're not equipped for, and that's the truth. Well, actually, if I just jump in there, because if you look at the two situations where your club don't can sack the manager, right? But the right, but the squad is there in Everton. They just mm. weren't getting the best out of them. Whereas mm. whoever's coming into Leeds with the injury list they have really doesn't have the squad to choose. To, like, whereas Lampard could come in and there's good players there. He just need to get them to play well. And they didn't seem to be playing for that guy that used to manage the club up the road. He done okay with them. You know what I mean? Not, a, not as good as the German they have now, you know, but he's a once in a lifetime. God help them when he goes because they're not going to replace him. But Stevie G, a Liverpool fan said to me there last week, Stevie G will come in and sort that out. But we'll give Duncan his moment now, Duncan. How do you feel Frank Lampard is? Because only for a VAR decision, he should have got a draw against Man City. Yeah, I thought we should have. Uh, yeah. Everybody was. Uh, everybody said it, even Shearer on Match of the Day said it was a, it was a travesty altogether. Like It was definitely a handball. There's no question about it. Everybody knew that. Yeah, and to get it to get a, a draw would have been a fantastic result for us, even though we were on against um, uh, the leaders of the Premiership. But um, 
look, it is what it is. It's not the first time it's happened, actually. Uh, and apparently the word going around is that he's from Manchester and his brother-in-law follows City and all this kind of crap. But at the end of the day, the dogs on the street knew. Like, whether, it doesn't matter whether his, 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 uh, his shirt went down so far. His arm is his arm, you know. He lifted so. his arm, Duncan. He lifted his arm toward. He actually the ball. did. The yeah. simple fact of the matter is, if you lift your arm towards the ball, it's not mm. ball to hand; it's hand to ball. Yeah. So it's the other thing should, should Phil Foden have been playing? Because there's another player that put the game into distribute at that boxing match the week before. Now I know the knobheads that were outside weren't. And he's smart, like hitting his mother and that. But mm. surely he needs to step back and say, there's enough security there to deal with this. So I don't need to come out and start throwing punches. So there, there beggars the difference. Should he? Here's the two guys that England sent home, two young lads that England sent home, both being let loose and, and took, put the game into distribute. And that's part of the problem of football now. Bielsa was of an old school. It seemed to be able to put manners on players. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. I'll tell you what, Man City allow their players just to do whatever they want. Uh, the, the most uppity, whiny <laughs> manager in the Premiership is Pep Guardiola. He came out with a statement today. Uh, everybody plays 11 men behind the ball, except for Liverpool, Aston Villa and Leeds, and I think somebody else. Always constantly, no, no camps. Always constantly whining all his... His players are discriminated against, blah, 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 blah. Yet there he is with all his blood money pumping in from the Middle East. You know what I mean? Seriously. And, mm. and all he does is whine constantly that, that, that he's been hard done by. So, ah. Do you think that uh, the Premier uh, not, money will always talk in any way? But if, you're not if you look at the Premier League now and you look at Mr. Abramovich trying to shift the power over at the last minute to save a bit of face, you know what I mean, with Chelsea. Like, there was nobody, there was very, like, his, even the guy said it today in the radio, and it was like listening to myself, he said, I hate the Scousers, I hate them. But actually, yesterday, I wanted them to win, because nobody there wanted to see that trophy going to Russia. Now, I went into it with the viewers, no, I don't, but I want the best team to win. And yes, I honestly felt, the bit. I didn't see the first half, Seen the second half, and I actually thought Liverpool deserve it, even though Chelsea's couple of moments with the goals, you know. And I, I just I felt those goals disallowed. Well, by the way, Craig, I'll just tell you, yeah, well, that was a foul, Craig. Just on that point that you're saying about nobody wanted Chelsea to win it, that I, I wouldn't have thought like that. I don't think you should punish a club or the owner, by the way, of some lunatic, you know, that has gone around fighting. Bullets at a, a a country that was one of theirs at one stage, and and some of them speak Russian and that they're not interested in, in fighting. Ukraine's not interested in fighting at this. The, the man's a head case. This guy mm. Putin is a head case. But unfortunately, he's also a benefactor of Abramovich's wealth. He's yeah. a benefactor. Uh, yeah. We're going to go into that indeed, in, in but. Uh, I want to see, because we made a few calls earlier a couple of episodes ago, where we'd all feel everybody would finish. Mm. Can I just go back? Just, Other just than to Mark finish, here, just to finish that, Greg, yeah, Just to finish that for one second. Yeah. But the supporters are going to, to suffer and, and things like that, and the players, and let them go offside for a while, and he probably will, and come back. But it's, 
Believe it or not, he's involved in negotiations at the moment. He's over between, he's over, he's involved in the negotiations between Russia and the Ukraine. Yeah, but we, we should cover that when we're talking about it. That oh, a, we but, but just on a lighter, it's slightly lighter now. Sorry, go ahead. Other than Mark, right, do we think Liverpool could do a quadruple? For, okay, I'll jump in. For me, um, on a personal level, I would prefer Liverpool to, you know, irrelevant, uh, just on a personal taste, on a personal opinion. Um, I prefer Liverpool to do it because I, I've never liked Man City. I don't like their style of play. I don't like how they've managed to get to where they are because they are, they are, they, they are the, 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 the prime example of how you buy success in the Premiership. Having said that, mm. the top four, top five are all prime examples of it now because ultimately they're untouchable and that's why they want a breakaway league. And I think they should give them a bloody breakaway league, actually, because, um, you know, the rest of the teams are simply just holding up the rest of the Premiership, as far as I can see. But um, for me, Liverpool have a tradition and a heritage that is still very much something to be proud of, something that is entrenched in the community of the area and I think they represent everything that's still good about premiership and English and British football so for me yes I'd like to see that I also like Klopp even though I think he's a bit of a whinger from time to time I do like Klopp um, um, he's not quite as much of a whinger as Guardiola but he certainly you know he does have his moments so for me yeah I'd like to see that I think it'll be good for the football and, and also I think uh, I think they deserve it based on what they've achieved so far this season coming back to actually give the city a bit of a run for the money is no mean, um, no mean uh, achievement in itself. But he has the he has the squad to do it, Mark. You know what I mean? Like he has the squad to do it. Like, <laughs> I think with Ferguson, when you have options, look at that bench. Like I was only saying yesterday, who is the striker with Liverpool now? Like Salah, Mane, uh, Jota, the new lad Diaz comes on. Uh, Firmino was still like, just seeing so you've got five forward players. You know what I mean? Five of them. So last year, they could barely string two of them together, as you said yourself. So it's all coming good. And that young lad coming on looks great. They've one of the they've two of the best fullbacks in England. And this is me talking about club I hate. But, but what I'll always remember is that when we were winning, right, I want to put it on record that when Liverpool were winning, I gave them the kudos that they were good. So mm. nobody will ever blame you of being an ABL. Not like all them. Do you remember when we were winning for 23 years or something? All them ABUs. There was you no never shut up about it. There was no ABU. There was no ABU. It's just Liverpool. It's just Liverpool fans. Can <laughs> <laughs> I move on? Because I, 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 I want to move it, away from my club at the moment anyway. We need to wind up. 22 shots and three goals. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Duncan, have you anything to say on football before we move on? Well, just I'm I'm a fan of football. I'm a fan of Everton, but I'm a fan of football. And I hate to say this, especially when it's going out there, but I I would be up for Liverpool to win. You know, rather than City, I think uh, for the same reason that Paul is saying there. Like you know, so yeah, I would be, and I love their football. I love I love the way Liverpool come at you like a a load of wasp coming at you and stealing you, getting you out of the way, and and you know when they get the when they get the ball and they're near there, you just know they're going to score. Yeah, I'll never forget um, Istanbul and that. 
I don't know what year it was, but when they were three 0 down at half time, I said, because I sat in to watch the match, I was looking forward to the match, and I says, Jesus, I, why, why did I even sit in to watch this rubbish? But they came out the second half, and I saw it there the other day, Gerard's goal. He just took that team by the scuff of the neck, as as like Keane has done before, and and people like that, and uh, that have done that, pushed them forward. Well, he was on fire that day, Gerard. I really, really thought when I saw the header going in, the second one went in, I said it was all over. Even though it was only 3-2 then, but I just thought it was yes. awesome. And I have to say, I was up for it. And I was cheering for him. Yeah. Don't, don't put that don't bit out. You delete that last bit in any way. If I could just come in on what Duncan said there, because I think he made a really good point. I think that we, our age group, remember the Liverpool greats. I mean, I remember Emlyn Hughes and, Ke- and, and, uh, and no, sorry, actually Kevin Keegan and Billy Bremner fighting on... Uh, on, on, yeah, on, on it was actually Charity Shield. It was Charity, Charity Shield. Shield. Charity Shield. Um, yeah. And then there was great comebacks in the Champions League. And I, and I always felt that they're one of the few teams that when they're playing in the Champions League, I mean, you might not agree with this, Greg, but, you know, I think that... Everybody unites behind Liverpool. We, we, they have that, such a, that great pedigree. And when they played Leeds last week, they were breathtaking. I mean, Leeds were bad, but actually Leeds weren't that bad, but Liverpool were just levels above them. And you couldn't help being in awe of that. I don't feel the same way when I watch City. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't no. admire them. And I certainly don't admire United when I see them. And it's not because of any history. I just don't think that they have that same snap and pizzazz as they did when Fergie was managing. When I really did look at them enviously and think, what a fucking team they are. Yeah. So, yeah, here's the Liverpool. Let's hope they do it. And yeah. just on that, just on that, uh, when I go to Goodison, and when, when Everton are playing at home, Liverpool will be playing away. I normally stop at Anfield for a pee on the way up before I go across <laughs> Stanley Park. But one, one of the days, <laughs> one of the days... At the, at the gates. Yeah, well, the gate was open one of these days, and I, I said to your man, because I had a, a, a young lad with me, and uh, he that followed Liverpool, but I was bringing him to the, I was trying to compare it to him, but anyway, uh, we, I said to the security guard, I said, is there any chance he could go in and just have a little look around? And he says, yeah, sure, he can go anywhere he wants, but he can't go on the pitch, so that's, that's fine. So you know when you go in and see these, when they're not playing that, all you see is the green but you don't see the goalpost, you don't see the corner flag and all that kind of thing. And Liverpool had a, had a, a slope all around their pitch, just a slight one from the, the, the centre of the pitch. It just went slow, slowly downhill a little bit. But the point I want to make is, when I walk down to, towards that, that pitch, I have to tell you, the hair stood up on, the, on, on my neck. They really, really did. When you think of the people that were there. It's actually starting to happen again. Mm. When, when, when you actually went down and you thought of the history that was there and the players that were there. Mm. I don't want to go on about it, Jesus. Or, Clearly, I don't need to say anything. It's just sitting back here enjoying all this. <laughs> but, but, uh, he didn't want to say anything. He wants to hear this. But uh, it was a real, uh, you know, you could feel on Even, the, the, like, the last time I was over there, you see big Tommy Smith. If, I, hope, I don't know if he's still alive, but big Tommy Smith, and little Sammy Lee walking down to the game, you know, at, at Goodison and things like that, you know. But it was great. I'm like, I'm, Keith, uh, Doug Leach was there one day, and I finished with this. Doug Leach was there one day, and he got out of his car and he had a, 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 a 
uh, uh, brown long jacket, long coat. And I said, Jesus, Kenny, I says, you still look like you could do a job. You know, he looked, he looked good now, you know. Oh, um, a bit like and, Razor Ruddock. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, they had great, they had really great. Razor hey, uh, before the BLTs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's, I think John, John Barnes, this is on the radio a while ago, he says, Barnes, he has me getting fit again for some, I think he was doing a documentary or something about weight loss. Losing weight, you know what I mean. But just that'd yeah. be a fine pair, wouldn't it? Some challenge for the for the guy that's nutritionist that's taking the two of them on, you know. All he needs is a roll of sellotape. Sellotape both their mouths up because yeah. all razors. <laughs> but the last thing is amazing. Like in in any walk of life, is that when people have charisma, and don't even necessarily have have that the skill of of doing it, but have the ability to put the right people in the right place and know when. Ferguson had it for years. That's what the success of over and over. He knew when a player was ready to move on. He knew whether to bring somebody through. And it's the same in business. We know in our own businesses that we have to rebuild them over and over again. And that's why I, I look and I kind of go, right, well, you know, Jorgen might move on. Who's going to come in? That would be our opportunity. For you, Paul, I, I feel a bit blown it there because I think that man would have come back next year and got you yeah, back up. I think but that was a not big right mistake. off the guy that's coming in. Because the one club I admire most in the Premier League now at the moment is Wolves. Because yeah. they were on a crest of a wave with that guy Nuno. And then yeah. along came Levy and whipped them away. And he mm -hmm. left the security of a club that would have backed them all the way and went to Levy, famous for kicking you out if you missed. You know, mm -hmm. you didn't draw, win the game by taking 90 minutes. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. you, and then you look at the guy they brought in now. I didn't know. Did you know anything of him, really? The guy they have now was he's no, doing an amazing heard. job. So no. you imagine the radar he's on now, because any anybody out there now must be looking at him and saying they didn't even really spend. Wolves. Mm, yeah. He came in and he, whatever way he does it, or his motivation, or maybe the fact there's a lot of Portuguese players there. You know what I mean? But mm. and that's the other thing I want to. If you look at Portugal at the moment, look at the influence on Portugal on the Premier League players. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's unbelievable. They probably have to. You know, if you look club for club, they've got a, a nucleus in each club at the moment. And then... Except for, except for the guy that plays for you, who uh, can't hit the goals. No, he hit the yeah. post. Hit the post. <laughs> can, can, I share, can I share a story? Which there, one are you guys? talking about? The one that had a great career, has won more Champions Leagues, or the other fellow that came last ah, year? He always has the answer. The old age pensioner that's too slow now to be taken on even as slow as the fullbacks, that lad. Yeah, he's grand. Leave him there. Can I, can I share a story? Can I share a story with we you? We bought him for the Champions League. The guy shouldn't even be playing the matches he's playing. He should be rested. But unfortunately, he can't because the people behind him are letting him down. Are letting them down, you know? So, can I share a story, Greg? Real quick. I was named after Duncan Edwards that was killed in the plane crash in 58. Uh, he, he, the plane crash was February the 6th. He died in I think he died on the 20th, or that's the 24th. But he was sitting up, there's no marks on the top. He's sitting up and Busby came in. Busby was worse for wear than he was. But um, he, um, what happened was, I don't ever remember a plane like this, but he was at the front of the plane for the two times that I tried to take off. And the third time he said, oh, here, let's get down the back. And it was the back that was hurt, that was hit the most. But anyway, he, he uh, 
I went over to see, I went over to Birmingham one time, I was going down to see Everton and, and Wolves in uh, Wolverhampton, Molyneux. And I called into the, the graveyard to Dudley, where he was buried. I was expecting to see a real old grave, grave, you know, like falling apart or whatever, but it was a modern one. But the, 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 the thing that I want to tell you is, I went down to see Everton and was playing and it was uncanny really because what he said to Busby that day when he was sitting up he said he was fit enough to play he was he was good enough to play for the game next week and it was against Wolves and just another little story on that was Wolves nearly signed signed him nearly signed Duncan Edwards and uh, whoever it was was it? Didn't, was he, it? Didn't, he didn't speak Portuguese No but I uh, think, <laughs> think your man must have come in uh, uh, Matt Busby must have come in and stole him uh, but Wolves nearly had him all that little stuff that happened you know <laughs> I really have this vision of Matt Busby coming in like an old you know the old rubber hammer and a mask over him popping Duncan yeah. Edwards on the heads and dragging him stole him he stole him <laughs> well I think he did steal him but my second Christian name is Edwards mm. so I was named I was born the same year uh, in May and my dad was a United supporter so he named me after him. So in, for me, I always dad, liked I, your dad. Hmm? I always liked your dad. <laughs> yeah. You always looked at a man that had a lot of sense, you know? <laughs> well, right, so we're going to move on, well, lads, and we're going to talk about the, the horrible topic at the moment, and you can't avoid it. And, like, Jesus, we were dominated by... The world was dominated by one topic for two years, and there we are the day that we're dropping masks. And here we are with a whole where we should be probably talking about that a little, but we're talking about the world a bit in turmoil. But I'm watching the six o'clock news tonight, and I'm trying not to get sucked into watching everything about it. But it, one of the like it's it's how the world seems to be banning together against Russia now, and as you can see with the flag in the background, and I think we're all in agreement that I don't want any war. Because my biggest thing, and the hurt I feel, is that we're all family men. and We're not fighters, you know what I mean? We're, we're people that love our family, love our kids. And when it really drives home to me, when I watched kids getting on the train, there was two little kids sitting on the train, looking out, waving out at their dad. And mm -hmm. the mother bawling her eyes out, and the dad waving back. No mm -hmm. one, will I ever see that? Will, will we ever see them again? And we take so much for granted here. But they were, they were us, they were us. You know what I mean? 44 million people, they were us, and the whole thing is in turmoil. So, anybody want to kick it off and give us the view? It's the, the, the thing about it is, it's not Russia, it's Putin, and uh, it's not the Russian people. You see that on, on the streets of St. Petersburg, where he's actually from, where Abramovich is from, and, and where a host of the other oligarchs have actually come out of. So, you know, the Russian people don't want this. A, a very interesting thing on today, they're, they're now beginning to actually show, basically what happened was there was a wall that went up, the Kremlin put a wall up and actually started smashing all the internet connections throughout Russia so that the Russian people wouldn't find out what's happening. Guy I was watching on NBC from America today, he was the director of uh, Director of Communications and Media for the Ukrainian government. And in the news segment beforehand, they were basically saying that all the cash machines in, in Russia weren't working and there was they, they, the stock market for some unusual reason wasn't working. 
and he interviewed him and it was live, uh, uh, as I say, on M MSNBC. And he says, my department has shut down the Russian stock market. We are working with Google. We are working with Twitter. We are working with all the American companies to break through this Russian wall that they put up to stop communication, getting into the people and, and getting to the Russian people. She says, not only that, we've closed down all our cash machines. So she says, well, well how are you doing that? She says, well, a couple of days ago, we, we, we put it out to, because we have a lot of people in here, Ukrainian based all around the world who are involved in IT. We're a big IT nation. So he says, we put it out to everybody who's connected um, to get involved. And she, says, she asked him the question, so many, how many people are working on this project at the moment? He said, we have 120,000 across the world helping us shut down everything in Russia. It was just fascinating that it's not just going to be on the street, it's going to be... Uh, technology is going to be kicking in. I think Putin has backed himself into a corner. I think he is, I think we were seeing a Shakespearean play being played out here. I, I think, I, I'm hoping that it ends with a Julius Caesar where somebody within his cabinet, yeah, exactly. uh, the oligarchs take him out. But, you know, I, I, I think this is a, this, this is something that he's been building up to for years. Suzanne actually said this morning, and, and, and she was reading articles yesterday, that they're, you know, out, Trump being in power and him enabling Trump to be in power and all. You, you know, with Trump Tower in London, there is two complete floors that are Russian, that are basically Russian and cordoned off to everybody else. Money has been pumped to Trump for years. Had, had the COVID uh, pandemic not happened, this article that Suzanne was talking about basically predicted that, that Putin would have done this two years ago when Trump was in power. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be beyond them because yeah. for the next president of the United States to come out and make the, the statement he made, he just went, seriously? Seriously? I, I, if he was right to do it, I would have done it. Yeah, go on. There's a there's a couple of things, Greg, that I I feel Mark touched on that I that I have personal experience of. I mean, I've been to Moscow a few times, mm. um, and it is very very sad that the people of Moscow and people of St. Petersburg uh, um, are confronted with the daily um, the daily obstacle of of Putin because he is he, he's in the atmosphere there. There's a fear of him that is palatable, that, that is evident on the street, the way people speak to each other, the way people speak about him. You know, he is a dictator of massive proportions. And, 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 and I've met some great friends there that I feel, you know, I mean, people in our industry here would be considered champions of the industry who, who, are, who are wonderful business people who have to behave in ways that are borderline illegal because it's the only way they can do business. And I don't want to go into that, but you know they, that's the way they have to behave because the alternatives are not healthy for them. But also when you look at the, the attitude towards um, you know, the gay, lesbian community there, that, you know, how, 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 they are, how they're treated, how they're forced to live their lives. I mean, it, the, the Putin regime doesn't, isn't just about politics and money. It's social, it's, 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 uh, 
it's it's a hell for a lot of people who live there. That's the first thing. And I think uh, my sympathies go to those people because they're going to be tarred with the same brush as the people, as the soldiers on the front line, who many don't, many of them don't want to be there. Many no, of them are they're only there. kids, by the way, they're only kids. They're 18, yeah. 19. Yeah, they're they're, they're freaking cannon fodder. So, I mean, let's let's put the all in this perspective. They think they're going to liberate this country. So they think they're going to be welcomed with open arms when they go there. And they're <laughs> to their surprise, what they're confronted with, who are people who are fighting for their lives and their families and their daughters and their sons. So it's a shock to them that when they get there, that that these that the, that the Ukrainians are armed with experience, by the way, because they're two years of, of, of national service under their belt, most mm. of them. The other thing that we have to bear in mind is how brilliant is the Ukrainian president? I mean, what the sheer bravery of this man, the absolute for him to be able to come out and say, I don't want, I don't want people to, I don't want feet on the ground. I just want support. I want arms. I want I want, I want military backup, but I don't want the American army in here. I don't want the German army. I don't want the Brits. And I, you know, I for me, I think this is an incredible story. It, it, it's it, it may be Shakespearean, but it's more like a it's 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 more like Greek mythology. I mean, it's 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 a real kind of um, um, David and Goliath story. And I think I think Putin has bitten off more than he can chew. I think the Ukrainians not only have got the support of the world, but they've got their own. Um, um, strength and will and desire and bravery to absolutely overrun Putin. I think he's he's, yeah. he's he's stepped out on a limb here. He didn't know what to expect. And there's a great there's a great um, program uh, Anthony Bourdain did when he visited Russia uh, in 2014, just at the time of the last Ukraine invasion. And he talks about this. Mm-hmm. He talks about that Putin doesn't see that anything as, as a defeat. He will just continue to do it and do it until eventually he wins or dies. And, or I, dies. Think yeah. and I think that's what he'll do. I think, I think he'll do this until either he's what he wants or smart to take him out. And I think his own people are close to that. Yeah, I would say so too. On, on the Ukrainian uh, president, uh, you know, yes, he might have been a TV personality, but what a lot of people don't actually realize is he, he got a prestigious law degree from the top Ukrainian university. Yeah. His, his parents are academics. Mm. Uh, he come, he's very well read. So his choice of going into the entertainment world is a personal choice. Yeah. Take away from the man and, 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 and how bright and how intelligent he is. And, you know, the amazing thing that's going to end up happening here, and just two things, I think six European countries who use MiG fighters, and and if you don't know what a MiG fighter is, they're, 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 usual, they're, they're Russian fighter planes, but six of the European countries have now sent MiGs to mm-hmm. Ukraine, where all the Ukrainian Air Force are actually trained in, in, in fighting. Yeah. So you're gonna have you're gonna have air battles heading in now, as well as everything else. And the number today is four thousand five hundred Russian soldiers dead. Two things that are happening: the Ukrainians are basically putting up um, videos of cap- captured soldiers. I watched uh, a village in uh, Siberia where the entire village is out, and they're all crying in the street because the young lad that was captured was from their village. And secondly, what 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 the Russians are doing is because they don't want body bags going home, they're setting up these 
field incineraries where they're burning their own soldiers' bodies so that they're not getting sent home. Like, well, what's happening? It's absolutely horrendous. This is going back, Mark, Mark, to what we were saying. There's two things you touched on there. First of all, let's not read too much into politicians being well-read. Boris Johnson is very well-read. That doesn't make him less of a prick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, we haven't got Sean here. It's <laughs> a matter of opinion whether he's well read, well read or not. <laughs> yeah. this, what, 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 the, what the Ukrainian president is, beyond being well read, intelligent and academic and a local personality, he is a charismatic leader of the people. Yeah. He, is, he will be remembered like Nelson Mandela after this. Yeah. He will be at that level of I mean, he will probably be guaranteed a president, the president's job for life. Do you know the amazing thing I find with him and with the whole lot, right? You look at Putin there sitting there and he's talking about the nuclear, right? And then the camera turns to his two generals. Right? And I was, looking, I was looking and going, the two guys look like, did he fucking just say, get ready to drop nuclear? Like, they look like, <laughs> this fucking man for real here. Like, did you yeah. see, look back and you'll see their faces, they're there going... Mm. You know, and I'm kind of going like, they're going, this, this is a fucking, yeah, I'll nod my head, because, but I don't necessarily agree with them. And, that, and I was listening to a, an economist there on, on CNN before I, before I come up, and somebody said, they think all the, like he was talking about what they're doing and the squeeze they're putting on them. And actually just here from your favourite paper, Mark, The Guardian, you know, the Turks are going to stop, are stepping in now and saying, you're not docking your ships here. Like mm -hmm. you wouldn't have thought Turkey would turn around against the Russians, but they're turning around saying, no, we, that's, we won't let them pull in. So they're going to be told, they can't fly anywhere, they can't sail a ship, and your man said, so the squeeze is like a squeeze unheard of before ever in the world. So he said, will that make the oligarchs, Kelly Owen said, will it make the oligarchs take him out? And he says, well, we'd love, the Western world would love that. They'd love that they, they want to get their planes back and their, their, their cruise liners and everything else given back to them. But they also have to think, Right, they have it now. So when this is all over, will we get it back? So should we maybe should we stay here and we're in with him? So he said, and that's where we're caught between what will happen and what you know what the West hopes is that the, the, the men with the money go in and get, get this fucking lunatic out of here. But you know, so I'm just hoping some young kid gets close enough to him if he's lucky enough to turn around, which should have happened to Hitler, unfortunately, it didn't. And he tried to blow him up in the in the bunker at that time, and it didn't. And it would have stopped the world war. But somebody has the sense over there to look. I'll, I'll take one for the team and just take but, him but, out. But the problem now is as well is three quarters of of the, of the the catch cash resources of Russia are in other countries. Mm. Yeah, it's not in Russia. The only tangible thing that Russia actually has is their gold bullion, and the only person that may buy their gold bullion are the Chinese, because nobody else is going to buy it. And by the looks of things, the Chinese are sitting on the fence. So I, 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 I think this reminds me, I was saying to the other day, look, this, this reminds me of World War One, And and I was talking to a couple of United fans. I said, no, Ru Russia are very self-sufficient. And I went, no, I said, Putin reminds me more like of Tsarist Russia, where the small percentage of the people at the top had a lot of money. And people down here had nothing. And he says, I know people, a friend of mine said, people in Russia have money. I said, no, but they haven't got freedom. There's a difference in having a few bob to live and having freedom to speak, freedom to... So along came Lenin, 
with, with an ideology, whether you believed or not, but he had an idea and he rallied, he was charismatic and he didn't have the internet to spread the word. So in the world we're living in now, is you, I'm delighted what you said, Mark, that they, that people can infiltrate and Russian, because what they're saying, um, I was watching Russia today and it was so, you know, so opposite to what we were, we were hearing. You know what I mean? And God love the, the, the English and American reporters that are over there working with Russia today because they're never going, where are they going to get a job again after this, you know? But what they were, but when you look at some of the, like, I will, I like Euro news because you get a different view of it. You know what I mean? Not rather than just Sky News. And, mm. and the view that they're saying is that, you know, the, the people in the street aren't happy, but it's the younger people who know how to use a mobile phone, who know how to get access to outside. So they know what's happening. But unfortunately, the majority of the older people who've gone through decades of this believe what they're told because they're brainwashed. They just believe it. Look, it's like Catholic Church Ireland. It's not that long ago when the church here dictated everything. That, that does not exist now. We're probably one of the most open societies in the world. Now, who'd have thought of that a couple of decades ago? You know? Liberal. Liberal. <laughs> The okay. thing is, Greg, what, what this all plays into, what, what, what this plays into is, and we just talked about it with the, 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 the Ukrainian president, this is the cult of personality. Putin was one of, the, one of those dictators who loved to be out front. He loved to be photographed with his top off. He wanted to be fighting tigers. He wanted to be that populist. He, he absolutely was right on time when the cult of personality um, came about, and he absolutely loves it. But we all know with the cult of personality what happens. We know that the tide changes, and your people start to react against you. Whereas at once, whether it's Saddam Hussein, whether it's Osama bin Laden, whether it's all these people, when it turns, it turns forever. And I think that's what's happening with Putin. I think that his own people, including his own generals, his army, the people who fund him. They're looking at this and they think, this is just a step too far. This is madness. It's only a matter of time. Now, can anyone get close to him? We don't know. But they got close to everybody else. They got close to Saddam. They got close to um, Obama. Or sorry, sorry, not Obama. Um, 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 bin Laden. They will get to him. And I think, I think that will be his undoing. It's the secret, Sarah. Your man was saying that he said... The oligarchs can come back, but he said the people who don't re don't have planes and all that are the secret service. So he yeah. says you have to infiltrate them. You have to get beyond them if you want to take them out. But they're, they'll, they'll be supporting them because they don't know any. They, they've got the high jobs in, in Russia, probably living the good lives, but they're not the oligarchs. But if the mm. oligarchs can come back and go, well, we could move you up into power, you know? And then, but then he, it, I think they're... The wealthy Russians that are out there in the world would be clever enough to say, let's just make friends with the Ukraine and get it back to their neighbour. We could do business with them, but we don't need to invade them. We have enough problems of our own, you know? Well, he's, he's now basically put the application in to join as of five o'clock this afternoon. Ukraine has officially put in an application to join the EU. It's going to be debated in Brussels tomorrow. Um, Fast track them in. Well, to be quite honest with you, the reason NATO didn't want to bring Ukraine on in the first place was because they didn't want to provoke anything yeah, from Russia. That's right. But yeah. now that Russia have already done something, you know, they might just go, listen, he's already doing it. We might as well just throw our chips in and just go for it. Mm -hmm. where, where, where do you see China in all this? Well, they're clearly being very quiet. Mm. 
So, so was India. So was, so was Israel. So was Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, and the Emirates. Everybody's been very quiet of all these, all these uh, uh, nations that are a little bit more dictatorial uh, towards their peoples. Uh, they're all, even though Israel is supposed to be a democracy, is it really with what they're doing on the Gaza Strip? So you know, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of people not involved in the conversation yet. So do you, somebody was saying to me, a client the other day, that um, the the Chinese have their own version of Swift nearly ready to go, and what and what they're hoping is that they'll they'll Swift will kick them out. They'll start their own and. China needs the energy, the gas, the coal, all that. So that's why they're being quiet because they'll go, right, well, if Europe won't take it, we'll take it off. And the Indians are the same. The two biggest consumers of the gas, coal, energy are India and China. So what they're saying is that they, they'll be, they're, they're being quiet because they'll kind of go, well, look, we, maybe we'll deal with them. But I think what's coming out now, what I'm looking at today, and I was just delighted to see it, that the financial, even what you're just at the same market about the internet people, because the people that like the Japanese, all these countries that the Germans, they know what it's like. They know what it's like to fall out from this and what it is for the people. So hopefully they, you know, if the rest of the world rallies together and so imagine we've seen global common sense. Wouldn't that be amazing that, that the people with common sense get together and say, no, the world doesn't need any more of this. Look what we can. Uh, pandemics are our problem because they're an invisible foe and it's very hard to beat them. And it takes years to find out the science to beat it. But this fella could be taken out very quickly financially because the world's money now is run globally. And, and there's not, because I don't think there's a country out there that's, that's self-sufficient, unless it's a little island that still live off fish and live off the land. But other than that, any, any grown economy needs other countries for it to function, whether it's to sell to or buy from. Would you agree? Yeah, well, that's, that's probably another reason why China's not getting involved because they sell most of their goods into Europe and America, USA. Yeah. Simple as that. Their goods go to Europe and the USA. They're, they're and, and have bought up a lot of have a lot of have bought up a lot of property and have opened up a lot of business. And their national Chinese nationals have now become a big part of the Western world. So now but, Chinese people talking back to their family in China, going, "Well, here, don't mess up. We, we have a good life over here." Yeah, but there's workers, you know, question's going to have to be asked. And, and, and the Brits are already at it. Uh, I was watching a little bit from Westminster today. The, the British, you mean, Mark? The Labour have been Labour have been talking about this for decades, about the amount of Russian money that's been pouring into the city of London, the, the money that's been actually thrown at the Tories. Sure, a story only came out last week that Theresa May had a benefactor who's Russian who actually paid $2 million into a fund. Now, whether that was used personally or whatever, but that broke in the Guardian last week. So there's all these stories of all this money that's been pumped in for the last two decades, which again comes back to uh, uh, Putin. And I think his plan of seeding people like Abramovich and other oligarchs in London and basically getting their hands into how things have been run in the city. And he's done it in New York as well through Trump and all over America. And, and no matter what anybody says, they were actually instrumental. Russia were instrumental in getting Trump into power. Instrumental financial. Yeah, well, instrumental. like if you think of globalization, I, I like 
lobby lobbyist was a word. I don't know when when I was a young man, I wouldn't know what's a lobbyist. I haven't got a clue. I don't care really. And then someday somebody said, "No, lobbyists. Their, their job is to go out and get finance for politicians. And the only way you'll ever make it as a politician in America is as long as you have millions behind you." So even Barack Obama had to. But Barack Obama came along when the the, the black people of America started to have power. There was like the, the good people in America that that were black that had lots of the Jay Zs of this world that multimillionaires that could get behind a candidate, throw money in, and say. We'll give you the money. If that's the game, we'll throw money behind you. But nobody thought, well, what if a country outside of the country that you live in starts chucking money in behind a guy? And that's why I always say, I always say my view on politics is there's loads of people come into politics with the best of intentions. They really genuine. I think most of them do come in and, you know, genuine intentions to do good. Not in the and North. Then the system starts to slowly, no, but, but the system starts to slowly mess them up. Then no, there are genuine ones that come I, in. I'm going to say this, and 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 you know we're coming close to our time. But as Billy Connolly would say, the mere thought of you wanting to be a politician should bar you from being a politician. I agree. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Story. Yeah, like I, I, I just, you know, that's it was my view. Like, it's not that; it's just that I've seen so many people. And you'd say, no, once upon a time, but when they got in, they seen the nice big fat paycheck that they get, and they kind of go, I'd like this again. You know what I mean? Oh, yes, what do I do? And then when you get in, well, you need to rub shoulders with him, and then all your ideals. And I, I don't know with a socialist guy at the hall door, and I, I said, I never bought you one. I said your posters are shocking. You look like somebody from a, a Russian, in a. a you know, communist flyer that went around decades ago. And he says, seriously, yeah. I says, and then I said, the other thing is, you've already done a term, haven't you? He says, yeah. I said, you've been softened up and you get used to the money because I said, they put all, you know, the six figure sum that you get, you, you, how much of that do you give to charity? How much do you, so if you're a real socialist and he goes, I get where, and he actually agreed with me, so I get where you're coming from. I says, and then your missus gets used to the money and the nicer life and the, like, let's face it, there's, there's people, People out there that are supposed to be socialists still dining. Well, actually, Mark, you probably met a few of them in Rollies on Saturday night when you were out there dining and whining with the rest of them. <laughs> you can't move out in Dublin without me finding out where you are, Mark. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That was that was Miss Linda's birthday party. And there you are, socialist that you are. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I, I will actually, I will actually, you know, hold my hands up. I am definitely a champagne socialist. Uh, without, <laughs> I am not going to, uh, I am not going to go full red. There is definitely uh, uh, things that I won't be giving up. <laughs> Take that bit of red down behind you, will you? Because it's throwing me off through this whole conversation. But that's up there just to annoy you, actually. So on, on the final note, lads. How do you feel? Well, let's just, can we just give two minutes to the mask situation? And maybe it'll just enlighten the people within our industry how we feel about it. I'll just give it from air view. I came back from holidays last week, went in, chat to the team, and they all unanimously more or less said, there's no, we're going to carry on wearing masks. And I went, okay, that's fine. And, and a few of them said, what are we going to do about the people coming in? I said, no, the people coming in don't have to wear a mask. And you can't make them wear a mask. And I don't think you should make an issue of it. But the fact that you're wearing a mask means you're protecting yourself. And fair play, and let's carry on. And that's the policy. So I, I think that's pretty much it. And we have a policy of we don't uh, interfere with the clients, even though we've had dozens of clients say, I know this mask thing is going, but I will be coming in wearing one. 
and I've just put it out to the staff. It's up to yourselves, but the majority of the staff are there going, you know what, for the next four to five weeks. Yeah, yeah. What about Paul? What about in Belfast? Have they given you a, a day for? So we had to close last week because we had a, yeah. an epidemic or a breakdown. Um, and just as, as um, they had announced the restrictions had been reduced, we are, we are still being advised to wear masks in the salon. We will probably continue to wear masks in the salon, I would say, until summer at the earliest. Yeah. And I, I would say it's very likely that, you know, we, we, we were not encouraging the clients to not wear them, but we but if they don't want to, we accept them. All yeah. our staff will continue to wear them. I have to say, um, this thing's not gone away. Um, no. Yes, the you know the situation in Ukraine and Marcelo Bielsa leading Leeds are obviously taking over priority in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Coronavirus. Actually, I, you know, I, I prepared for this tonight. I, I'm not, I'm not good at preparing because I thought we might have some opportunity to talk a little bit uh, about lighter things. And I know we're all music fans. And what I want you to do when you're finished, I want you to explore this band. Can you see that? Yeah, yeah. let me get the because I'll, I'll the numbers. Jimmy, Jimmy and the numbers. They are a New, Zealand, the numbers. a New Zealand modern soul band. Um, and they, their album is out on Superfly Records, which are a Belfast-based record company, a record label. Let me tell you very quickly about them. Ooh. Back in the early 80s, Tainted Love took a Northern Soul classic by Gloria Jones, um, Soft Cell to Tainted yeah, Love yeah. by Gloria Jones, and turned it into an electronic 80s classic. These guys have done the opposite. They've taken an 80s electronic gothic classic by the Cure, Boys Don't Cry, and made it into a Northern Soul stomper on this album. These guys are absolutely amazing. Very, very clever, very modern, very, very new in the sound. They make a lot of kind of very old music sound very modern, a lot of modern music sound very old. And uh, if you want a tip on a band, it's going to be massive. They're massive. They're going to be massive. Also, my book of the week. <laughs> you know, well, the gas thing is, I'm just halfway through Anthony Bourdain's uh, It's a biography written by his uh, assistant, who oh, never right. never set out to be his assistant. She just worked yeah. with him in a restaurant. And he just said, I need a hand. Do you want? And she thought, Jesus, anything to beat a kitchen, I'll take it up. But yeah. it's, it's a very good book because it just gives you little antidote. It's little stories through his life from all the people that were in his life. Yeah. And it's just amazing. I, I, he's an amazing I, man. You know? Yeah, I'm just watching all the um, parts unknown. Um, I, I, I just watched Vietnam last night. The Moscow one's amazing. The Congo one's amazing. Did you watch the, the one in the Lebanon? Oh, not the Lebanon, in Libya. Yeah, no, I haven't seen Libya oh, yet. The Libyan one is great. He's going, look at this, this is brilliant. Saturday night out, everybody has a machine going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we go to a club, listen to a bit of rave music. The Libyans go, hey man, I'm just going to shoot me. The Kalashnikov up in the sky, you know? It's just wild, you know what I mean? Like, he was a wild character. And lastly, I'm going to see Van Morrison this week. So, um, oh, Van here's Mor the other thing, Paul, I want to ask you. The Dexies, are you going to that gig in Brighton? Yes, I'm going to the one in Brighton, yeah. Because I was going to buy tickets and I said to Alison, I'm buying them, just going out. So I might buy, and we need to hook up with you there at that gig. Yeah, I'm definitely going. Yeah, I'm going in, in September. 
Good. Yeah. Van Van's obviously got a bit of a thing going because of the Belfast film, which I don't know if you guys have seen. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Yeah. A, <laughs> Mark reviewed it for us eloquently, la eloquently last in the last episode. Uh, uh, <laughs> soundtrack was amazing, and he watched it illegally, Paul. Would you believe that? Uh, so, I, I, I didn't hear Mark. What was your thoughts on the film? <clears throat> you know what? I read an amazing review by Slugger O'Toole. I, I, I had mixed reviews after I, mixed emotions after I saw it. I felt very melancholy at the end of it. Suzanne and myself watched it together. She felt a little bit more joyous than I did. Um, uh, and I felt a little bit of melancholy. And then I read this review by Slugger O'Toole, which is a fantastic blog. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, and 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 they basically said, you know what, we've we've got you know contributors from you know both sides of the community, and they're both giving their views and blah blah blah, and 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 what they think is, but it, it, it got down into it, and he basically said, really, it has to be viewed from the point of view of an eighteen-year-old child and three an eight-year-old, eight-year-old, you said, sorry, eight-year-old, eight-year-old, yeah, yeah, yeah. and viewed through his eyes in the environment that he's seeing. And yeah. I kind of read the review and I kind of went, you know what, I need to go and do that. So I'm actually going to re-watch it again with a completely different mindset. Okay, well, since I missed the opportunity to give my view on it the last time, I'm going to tell you how I feel as a northerner, as a, as a, as a northerner who still lives in the north um, and grew up, uh, my family were burnt out of their house, also burnt out of their business. And I feel, you know, that these things have been missed in this because you don't have to look at it from an eight-year-old's point of view. That's his opinion. Mm. You can look at it from any point of view you like. If you want it to be a romantic film, you can look at it from that. If you want it to be the soundtrack to Van Morris's back catalogue, you can look at it from that perspective. And if you want it to be, want to look at it from the opportunity for Kenneth Branagh to reinvent his past, you can look at it from that perspective. Yeah. Here's the way I see it. I think it's a very sanitised wishy-washy, black and white, if Tom Ford did the Troubles, this was what it looked like type. That's my feeling on it. I don't think any of the actors are actually doing themselves any harm. Jimmy Dornan comes out of it quite well. Judy Dench's accent isn't amazing, but, you know, it's okay. Uh, they're all beautiful to look at. They've got great, great teeth, wonderful haircuts, great shirts. <laughs> and, um, and I would just love to know... It's not a Belfast you remember back then. <laughs> it's certainly not the fucking Belfast I knew, um, um, and I or nor. Do, but I get, I get why people are carried away with it. I get what they love about it. Um, there's a there's there's a bit of a revisionism going on here that I think that maybe um, that maybe that will happen in the aftermath of events like yeah. the events. Paul, I think it it have to be. I ha, I'm gonna actually watch it. You know, get to watch it, but it has to be better than the last film to come out here representing one the city I come from, two the side of the city I come from, and three the industry I've been in, and that's deadly cuts. <laughs> <laughs> that was it was awful, cringeworthy. <laughs> it was awful. Never heard of it. Oh, it's on. You don't want it. You don't want it. It's on Netflix, I think, isn't it? It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's awful. To be in the bin. I mean, I... I she won a trophy, didn't she? To, to, to finish off about the Belfast, because I think it's, it's, it's important. I don't think it's a... It's not a bad film. And, you know, and does it deserve lots of Oscar nominations? It obviously does. Somebody's made that decision. But I don't recognise it. And, and I think 
and, I, and I've got taken a lot of criticism over saying this because it seems that you're not allowed to either have an opinion on either Kenneth Branagh or Belfast when it comes to films. But I think there's a lot of great people in Belfast, Glenn Labour, David Holmes, uh, lots of people making wonderful things about this city and about its people that isn't getting the recognition because it doesn't have Judy Dench in the film with an Zealand yeah, yeah. accent. And I, th- and I think you're right, Paul. And, and I think, you know, I think the melancholy bit is, is kind of like, I, I didn't get any real enjoyment out of the film. I kind of, when I say melancholy, you know, I, I think I actually feel I was bordering between melancholy and a bit depressed at the end of it. It, di- it didn't make me feel joyful. Yeah. That's you know, why you booked the table in Rollies. Well, I didn't book the table in Rollies. Packy and Tracy. <laughs> all you needed in it. A good night out in one of the most expensive restaurants in Dublin to just get you out of your depression. Uh, well, it, it wouldn't be my favourite restaurant in Dublin, but, and, and I certainly didn't book it. Actually, the story goes, my friends who were in from Derry for the... Uh, rugby. Italy, Italy, yes, for the rugby game. I They says, Mark... We're staying in the Four Seasons. Give us a list of restaurants. So I sent them six restaurants. They texted me back and said, we booked Rollies. I texted them back and went, I did not have fucking Rollies on that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, but if I'm not picking up the check, I have, that's okay. I'm sure I can make it. <laughs> <laughs> so we never got to chat. We never got to talk about the other team you follow. Not, not Liverpool. Not oh, Derry, not Celtic. Candy stripes. No, uh, Leinster. Actually, that was the one I wanted to challenge you on because you gave me a good explanation of how you liked all the other ones. And then I thought, no, I'll save it for the podcast. What? How do you follow Leinster, Mark? Well, I live beside I live beside the RDS. And the second thing about it is, is I, I, I don't really look at them. Put it like this. So if, if you live beside the Russian embassy, you'd be following Putin. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But the other side to this is I wasn't a fan of rugby until it turned professional. A, a larger lad. And uh, it was, was terrible at soccer. Brought him down to rugby. Became fascinating. Became brilliant at it. And I used to go down and watch him. And all I could see was his arse sticking out. And everybody was saying, what a great player. What a great player. Look what he's done. And I go, but he never touches the ball. It's not his game. And I go, what kind of a game is it that you don't touch the ball where everybody thinks you're a great player? It took me about five years and now I actually enjoy rugby more than he does. Right. He enjoys soccer again. Then he's now this tall, skinny lad. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, any 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 Ireland teams that are playing in the in the European competitions, of course, you're going to follow them. You have to sit in the French when Leinster's playing Ulster. But you know what? You know, it's they're they're the local team. You can't go and and see an Ulster game because I live in Dublin, so it's easier. Just and by the way, a couple of the lads who are who are big. Ulster fans still go down to Leinster games in the RDS because just down the road, you know. And how's cool in school? I seen he put a picture up there. So did he? Ah, the Zaga, the mighty Zaga is in the quarterfinal next Monday, three o'clock in Donegal. That's, that's another team he follows, Paul. By the way, no, that's a school. That's the you know that's 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 you know when you're paying when you're paying the fees, you support the school, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Did you get a Christmas card that's, from the prince. That's so for you. <laughs> now, listen, guys, I think that's a wrap for our episode four. And look, we're the hair dudes, we're out there for people to listen to. If you're if you're listening to this, please give us a share, give us a, a comment, 
And if you happen to be Alexa mad like me, you can actually just watch Alexa. Can I have the Hair Dudes podcast? Getting the Hair Dudes from Apple Podcasts. That's how easy it is to listen to us, guys. Alexa, not now. And she's gone. (laughs) Greg, get your wife under the table. Huh? <laughs> Here, I'll tell you, can I tell you something? Well, I could say something else there, but yeah, I'm not yeah, going yeah. to get yeah, into I'll trouble. That's a better Northern Irish accent than the one Judy Dench does on <laughs> So, for another, another episode, it's been fantastic. <laughs> Unfortunately, we had to focus on something else heavy, but you know what? With, with uplifted hearts, we know that you know, sense will rule out on this and the Ukrainians will get their country back to themselves with the help of the rest of us. So take care until we see you all again. Thanks, guys. See you, guys. Bye.